Hello everyone, I'm Captain Logan, and this is Superhero Rewind. The year was 1989. I was five years old. My dad came home from work one night with a Batman t-shirt, and that's how I remember first becoming really interested in the character. Not through television, not through toys, but through this symbol. It was unusual, sleek, mysterious, and whatever it meant, I knew I wanted to be a part of it. Now that's good advertising. In the summer of 1989, because of Warner's genius advertising strategy, Jack Nicholson's name, and a trailer that assured everyone that Michael Keaton really was a serious Batman and not another Adam West, the whole country seemed to have Batman fever. Tim Burton got lucky. He made the Batman film fans had been wanting for years, the one that appealed to a really wide demographic, and the one that turned a whole lot of people into fans who weren't before, including yours truly. I don't think you can underestimate the impact of Batman on pop culture. It proved to Warner Brothers that Superman wasn't an anomaly. Batman reinforced what Superman had already proved in 1979. These characters really can work on the big screen and have epic, valid stories that are worth telling. There's a really excellent three-part documentary on the history of this film and its impact on the two-disc Batman DVD, and I highly recommend seeing that. Now that there have been so many Batman movies, I run into a lot of people that get confused as to which one I'm talking about when I bring up the 89 film, and that's a shame because without it, there never would have been any others. So although, if you clicked on this review, you're likely to know this movie like the back of your hand, I'll lay out a short synopsis just in case. Vicki Vale comes into town to do a story about Batman, who at this point is considered by most to be an urban legend. She's apparently the luckiest journalist in the world because she just happens to fall in love with the one billionaire in the city who really is Batman. But he keeps standing her up on dates and lying to her about where he is, so she gets suspicious and starts digging up his past, learning about how his parents were murdered in front of him and ultimately getting Alfred to let her into the Batcave. Meanwhile, Batman accidentally drops crazy mob boss Jack Napier into a vat of chemicals, which turns him into the infinitely crazier Joker, and he uses the chemical plant to poison basic household items and kill a bunch of Gotham citizens. Batman figures out which mixtures are harmful and stops all that, and then has to stop Joker again at a festival where he throws money and then poisonous gas at people. They have a final showdown at the top of a church, the Joker falls off, and the city declares Batman a hero. I don't think I'd be exaggerating if I told you I've seen this movie at least a hundred times. I think it's one of the most entertaining movies ever made, and I never get tired of it. For me, the mark of a good movie is one where you keep catching new stuff every time you see it, and Batman definitely fits into that category. There are fun little things you might not catch, like Bob Kane's signature on a drawing in the newsroom. Maybe nostalgia was blinding me, but this film is filled with plot holes, and I didn't catch most of them until I was in my 20s. That's impressive. A movie that's so fun it's hard to care when it stops making sense. Batman is certainly not a realistic film or an extremely thought-provoking film. Those Batman movies were made later. But it's the perfect example of escapist entertainment. You watch Batman because you want to completely step out of reality for a couple of hours. This movie continues to stand up well because it's timeless. The architecture is gothic, the music is 80s pop, and the gangsters' wardrobes are out of the 40s. This was the Batman fans were waiting for. He's mysterious, he rarely speaks, he comes out of the shadows, and he creates so much legend around himself that people begin to wonder if he's even human. Now, Chris Nolan's Batman movies are certainly darker, and part of that has to do with perceptions in 2005 versus perceptions in 1989. But I'm not going to say one is necessarily better than the other, because these are two different Batmans. Or Batman, I suppose. If you want to see the late 80s Batman on film, 
watch Tim Burton's movie. If you want to see something closer to the modern Batman in comics, watch the Christopher Nolan films. Batman is a classic in every sense of the word. The script is filled with gold, and most scenes have quotable, quotable material, like Everdance with the Devil in the Pale Moonlight, and Where Does He Get Those Wonderful Toys. The Joker's I'm Glad You're Dead monologue is one of the most memorable scenes for me in all of cinema. Of course, most of the great dialogue goes to Nicholson, and in fact, the story really is more about the Joker than it is about Batman. A lot of that is because once Nicholson was signed on, they packed more Joker stuff into the script, knowing they now had star power. Critics have complained for years that Batman isn't enough of a character in this movie. I agree with that to a point. He gets the backstory about his parents being murdered, but we know little else about him. How did he become a skilled fighter? He might be rich, but who built all his cool gadgetry? But Tim Burton wanted to make Batman as mysterious to us as he was to everyone else in the film. I think the mistake, then, was that we spend too much time with Bruce Wayne himself, to the point we feel we should know more about him than we do. Bruce Wayne's motivations are often lost on me. For example, when he meets Vicki Vale at the party at his house, she asks which one of the, these guys is Bruce Wayne, and he lies to her, saying, I'm not sure, only to introduce himself to her later. It's hard to really appreciate Batman when Bruce Wayne is just a weird guy who messes with people for no reason. And my favorite nitpick in the whole movie. Alfred calls Bruce, saying Vicky will be late meeting him at the museum. He says he's not meeting her today. The Joker set it up, but neither of them knows that. So she waits around for him for a good long time until the Joker shows up, poisons everyone there but her, runs around defacing art, explains the plans he has for her, and then, finally, Batman shows up. This never bothered me until I thought about why he showed up. He knew she was there because Alfred told him, and it takes him that long to suit up and get there. Did he take a long shower first? Was the Batmobile stuck in traffic? I like how brooding Bruce Wayne is. I like how mysterious Batman is. But I wish he was more of a detective, and I wish he was stealthier. Yes, he cracks the Joker's poison code, but it looks like his sophisticated computer tech does that all by itself. And as far as stealth goes... Okay, Batman follows Joker and Vicky up the stairs in the church real slow and right out in the open, apparently just for dramatic effect. I'd understand it if he looked like he was injured, considering he was just in this huge crash in the Batwing, but he doesn't seem to be limping or anything, just walking really slow. Then he runs into a church pew, which knocks down all the others in a domino effect. Wow, what a creature of the night. Maybe Keaton just didn't play up how hurt he was supposed to be, I don't know. The other thing I never liked was that Batman uses machine guns in this movie. Okay, he doesn't carry a gun around with him, but he's got them on his car and on his Batwing, and that just doesn't seem like Batman to me. The character isn't supposed to like guns because that's what killed his parents. And even though he's, and even if he is going to use them, he ought to be a better shot. It always bugs me when he gets the Joker right in his sights, shoots missiles and machine gun fire, and hits everything but his target. Then the Joker pulls out this big long gun and drops the plane with one shot. Then again, maybe the whole last act was just struggling to be as good as the rest of the movie. All the stuff that really makes no sense happens in that last half hour. Alfred lets Vicky into the Batcave. The Joker has a bunch of henchmen at the top of a church he didn't know he was going to wind up at. But the image of the Joker's dead body in the laughing bag is great stuff. As is the iconic image of the bat signal in the sky, regardless of how silly it is that everyone suddenly loves Batman now that he's dropped someone to his death. I also think there's too many coincidences. Batman and Joker are interested in the same woman, and the Joker killed Batman's parents. 
Sure, this movie isn't going for realism, but both of those things are hard to swallow, even in the highly stylized world we're given here. You know, five years ago, I would have given Batman a 4 out of 4, but looking at it with a real critical eye, I've got to go with a 3.5. It's clever, its visual style is brilliant, with a lot of shots that look like comic book covers, and the story is a lot like late 80s Batman comic book stories. But the third act has too many plot holes to give it a perfect score. Thanks a lot for listening to Superhero Rewind. See you next time.